0: Thanks for tuning in. In China, just outside of Beijing, Amanda Zhao was born into relative poverty in 1981. An only child, her mother was a primary school teacher, and her father eventually became too ill to work. The Vancouver Sun newspaper described her parents' home In the southern corner of the throbbing city, past the Temple of Heaven, and in a maze of run-down slum houses, it is a concrete box with a sheet metal roof and peeling paint. Amanda's parents could not afford to raise her and sent her to live with their niece until she was fourteen. In 1997, Amanda met Julia in high school and the two became friends. Together, they planned to go to Canada after graduation. Nearby, Han Zhang was in a similar situation. By the age of three, his parents couldn't afford to raise him and he went to live with his cousin, Ang Li and his family, whose father was in the military and his mother worked in the entertainment industry. The cousins became close and together moved to Canada to attend university. They moved into a two-bedroom basement suite in Burnaby, near Vancouver in British Columbia. Ung was in the computer science program at Simon Fraser University and had plans to complete a four-year degree in engineering and work for two years in Canada before returning to China. Both Ung and Han's parents called daily to check on their sons. they had spent a lot of money to send the boys to Canada And they had high expectations for their success. Hun was more of a serious student and studied well into the night whereas Ang was often playing video games. Amanda was determined to lift her and her parents out of poverty and the way she saw to do that was to get an education in Canada. When she turned 19 it took her and Julia months to convince her parents to let her to sign on with an agency that helps students. The girls assured their parents that Canada was safe for the 60,000 foreign students that attend school here. The girls assured their parents that Canada was safe for the 60,000 foreign students. In large cities, it's common to see international students attending university, and some may be from affluent families. But that's not always the case. In Amanda's, her relatives provided the money for her to travel to Canada and her parents went without to help with their daughter's dream of an education abroad. Amanda landed in Vancouver on July 31, 2001. Her and Julia found an apartment in Burnaby and she enrolled in nearby Coquitlam College where 1,500 international students also attended. Before starting university, Amanda took classes to improve her English. Julia was more the outgoing one. Amanda was a very serious student, often studying into the early morning hours. She rarely drank, didn't do drugs, and didn't party. The girls went sightseeing and got to know the Vancouver area. But after a few months, Amanda, who was independent, felt she wanted to be on her own. In January 2002, she moved into her own apartment. A month later, an acquaintance introduced her to Ung, and they began dating. Soon, she joined him and Hun in their basement suite. Months later, Julia ran into her old friend. She said she seemed happy and noticed she was now dressing a little more flashy than her regular sporty look. Han stayed on in the basement suite as her roommate, but began spending less time at home and often only returned at night to sleep. Amanda and Ung argued occasionally, but never physically fought. Then on October 7th, Ung dropped out of computer science classes at the university. It's not known if Amanda knew what he had done. The next day, Amanda had a late class at college. Afterwards, she met up with Ung for dinner at a romantic restaurant. Then the couple returned to their basement suite. Around midnight, their landlord heard a strange laugh coming from downstairs, but didn't investigate. The details of exactly what happened next aren't known. But what is known? is that something did happen. Ung strangled Amanda to death. She died at 21. Ung lightly panicked and didn't know what to do. Amanda's body lay in the apartment overnight and into the next evening when he woke up Han and told him that he had killed Amanda. Amanda. Han got out of bed and could see her clothed body from the hallway. He asked him how it happened, but Ung didn't answer. The two carried her lifeless body out to the car and drove east for an hour to nearby Mission. There they stopped at Stave Lake. They stuffed Amanda's body into a suitcase and threw her into the lake. Ben drove back to their basement suite. Around midnight, Ung phoned the police to report Amanda missing. He told them that she had left their apartment around 8 p.m., walking to a store 12 blocks away for groceries, and that she hadn't returned. He was told to wait 24 hours and call back. The next day, Hun took Ung to Richmond in Chinatown for a night on the town to cheer him up. Once 24 hours had passed, Ung again phoned police. He told them Amanda had not returned from the grocery store. He said that he'd offered a driver in his car, but she said she'd walk so that he could study. And that when she hadn't returned just before midnight, he and Hun had driven to the store looking for her. Then he told police that the next day he and Hun went to Coquitlam College and discovered that Amanda had not been to class. This time, police took a full report and hit the ground running. The province newspaper reported that they examined the route from the basement suite to the grocery store that Amanda would have walked. They obtained security video from the store and determined that she had not made it to the store. The video also did not show Ang or Han at the store looking for her. Police conducted almost forty interviews and obtained DNA from their basement suite, but they also discovered she had left her passport behind. Then a number of things happened that affected the case. In the last five months, four other young Asian women had either been attacked or assaulted in and around Vancouver. And less than a day before Amanda disappeared, an Asian woman had been driving in Burnaby when her car was rear-ended by a vehicle with four men in it. When she got out of the car to exchange information, they grabbed her. They attempted to put her in the trunk of their car, but she managed to fight back and escape. The police, media, and the public all wondered, were these cases linked? And secondly, there was a breakdown in procedure at the police station. Amanda's photo and the fact that she was missing wasn't shared with the media for six days. The officer who took the report from Ung sent an email and photo of Amanda to their media relations officer. But he was off that day, which then turned into the Thanksgiving long weekend, and the officer didn't return to work for six days. When he did, he immediately sent out the press release. And thirdly, was that no one called Amanda's parents to tell them that their only daughter was missing. It is protocol between countries that consular staff are informed within 48 hours. But ung had asked investigators to hold off contacting Amanda's parents in Beijing, and for some unknown reason, police did not report it. On October 17th, she had been missing for nine days when the Chinese consulate saw the report in the media and contacted her parents. International students throughout Vancouver were nervous. Was there someone preying on them? They were fearful and only went to school and straight back home. Ung gave interviews to the media. He talked about their last hours together and his frustration with the police's delay in getting the story out to the public. Police had begun to think foul play, because although Amanda's photo had now been circulated to the press, they hadn't received any tips as to her whereabouts. On Sunday, October 20th, hikers at Stave Lake came across a suitcase with a body and reported it to police. There was no identification, so police called Ung to identify the body. Police confirmed to the media that it was Amanda. Her battered body had been in that suitcase for 11 long days. Autopsy results revealed that Amanda had died from strangulation. Police descended on the basement suite. They talked with Ung and Han took photographs and seized evidence from the garbage and the vacuum cleaner. Earlier, Ung had made plans to return to China in early November, but after Amanda's body was found, he changed his flight to the next day. Police heard about the change and rushed to the airport. They were able to conduct one final interview with him, but without charges, they were unable to detain him. Ong flew home to China. Amanda's father wasn't well enough to travel to Canada, but Amanda's mother went to bring her daughter home. Her parents weren't aware of Ang or that she even had a boyfriend, let alone that she was living with him. Her mother was hoping for answers as to what had happened and who had murdered her. She did not get those answers, and 12 days later, she returned home with only the cremated remains of her daughter. By now, police had exhausted all leads and found no viable suspects, so they focused their attention on Ung and Han. Over the next two weeks, a priest visited Han regularly at the basement suite. On Saturday, just as Han was getting ready to go out to dinner with friends, Police asked him to come to the station to answer questions. He continued to tell them that he didn't know anything. Then they told him that his fingerprints were found on Amanda's body. It wasn't true, but Hun didn't know that. A Mandarin-speaking police officer grilled Han for six long hours. He finally confessed to moving her body after she had been killed. After the questioning, Han wrote a letter to Amanda's mother, in which he said that he was sorry, even ten thousand times, and said that telling the truth is the only thing he could do. He did not confess, and he was not remorseful. He said that he did feel a little guilty and a little bit sad for her mother, but that he wrote the letter because he thought. It would make things easier for him with the police. Hun was charged with murder and put into a jail cell, where he was joined by an undercover officer. The next day, Hun reenacted his role for police. Officers drove him from the basement suite out to Mission and down Burma Street that runs alongside Stave Lake to where Amanda's body had been thrown in. Charges against Han were reduced to being an accessory after the fact and CBC News reported that court documents named Ang as a suspected murderer. Canada and China do not have an extradition treaty, but do work together on investigations. If a Canadian authority provides evidence to the Chinese police, they can be tried in China. But because China has a death penalty and Canada does not, Canada prefers to have the trial in its own country. As Un was the one who reported Amanda missing, police had a duty to update him about the case and tried to reach out to him in China, but he could not be located. Hun remained in custody. At his court appearance on December 9th, He was dressed in a grey turtleneck with his dark shoulder-length hair parted in the middle as he listened intently through a Mandarin interpreter. Relatives in Calgary, Alberta had put up $20,000 cash and used their home to secure another $70,000 to free Hun on bail. He was required to live with his relatives in Calgary, adhere to a 6 p.m. curfew, surrender his passport, and was ordered not to have any contact with Ung. The province newspaper reported that Amanda's father said that the luggage used to carry his daughter's body was so huge that someone must have prepared for it and that when her mother saw her dead body she realized she was barefoot when she was murdered which did not fit with Ung's story of a man going for a walk to the store that night. Seven months later, police in Canada issued an arrest warrant for Ung, and he was formally charged. Police in Canada and China still had no idea where he was. Interpol was notified so that if he tried to leave China, his file was red flagged. With the warrant issued, the Canadian police requested that China send Ung back to stand trial in Canada, but China chose not to. In the summer of 2004, Han went to trial. His lawyer argued that when police interrogated him, he had been denied access to a lawyer and that his rights had been violated. A judge agreed, and the charges were dismissed. The Crown did not appeal the judge's ruling. Hun was free. Amanda's parents never stopped fighting for justice for their daughter. They lobbied the media and governments in both countries and traveled numerous times to Canada seeking help. Chinese authorities located Aung in 2004 and questioned him. But charges were not laid against him until 2009. He was quietly arrested at a military compound where he had been living with his father. Canada shared its evidence with China with the condition that there would be no death sentence. Ten years after Amanda's murder, a Beijing court finally found, unguilty, of intentional homicide. He was sentenced to life in prison, which in China actually means life in prison. Her parents finally felt there was justice for Amanda. But justice was short-lived. His conviction was appealed and two years later the High People's Court downgraded his conviction from murder to manslaughter which reduced his sentence to seven years. As of this writing, Ung is likely a free man. Thanks for listening to Murder in 20 with less talk and more true crime. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday for the episode of Ron Sanchez Jr. He served three tours in Iraq and after returning home, sought solace from PTSD and depression by hiking the Appalachian Trail. He found serenity until one cold night when he met another hiker who had demons he couldn't control. If you are dying to hear more, past episodes of Murder in 20 are available for free at murderin20.com and on all major podcast platforms. We love what we do and are dying to continue. If you enjoy listening to Murder in 20 every week, we'd be eternally grateful for your support by visiting Murder in 20 at Patreon, PayPal, or murderin20.com. We'd like to acknowledge Purple Planet for use of their music, sound effects and Fasting studios and quick sounds, and our many editorial sources who are listed on our website. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Stay safe, sleep with the lights on, and don't play with strangers.